0: Isaiah 59, we'll read the first 14 verses. The Bible says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood, your fingers with the iniquity, your lips have spoken lies, your tongue hath muttered perverseness. "'None calleth for justice, nor any pleadeth for truth. "'They trust in vanity and speak lies. "'They conceive mischief and bring forth iniquity. "'They hatch cockers' eggs and weave the spider's web. "'He that eateth of their eggs dieth, "'and he that which is crushed breaketh out into a viper. "'Their webs shall not become garments, "'neither shall they cover themselves with their works. "'Their works are works of iniquity, "'and the act of violence is in their hands. "'Their feet run to evil.' And they make haste to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are the thoughts of iniquity. Wasting and destruction are in their paths. The way of peace they know not. There is no judgment in their goings. They have made them crooked paths. Whosoever goeth therein shall not know peace. Therefore is judgment far from us. Neither doth justice overtake us. We wait for light, but behold obscurity. For brightness, but we walk in darkness. We grope for the wall like the blind, and we grope as if we had no eyes. We stumble at noonday as as in the night. We are in desolate places as dead men. We roar all like bears and mourn sore like doves. We look for judgment, but there is none. For salvation, but it is far off from us. For our transgressions are multiplied before Thee. Our sins testify against us. For our transgressions are with us. And as for our iniquities, we know them. In transgressing and lying against the Lord, and departing away from our God, speaking oppression and revolt, conceiving and uttering from the heart words of falsehood, and judgment is turned away backward, and justice standeth afar off. For truth is fallen in the street, and equity Cannot enter, Father, I pray this morning as we come to you, oh, this passage was written for Israel, but it certainly could be written for America today. Father, I pray this morning as we take just a brief moment and celebrate certainly our independence, our love for this great country, America, may we also understand the situation and the state in which we find it. 2010 and the really the decade of the 2000s have not been kind to this country. We have certainly fallen ever far and farther away from you. I pray that you'll help us as individual Christians understand this morning what the faults are with America and what fixes we can do to restore it to that once proud nation it was. Father, I pray that you'll be with us. In Jesus' name, amen. I am convinced today that with every crisis in our nation, we face a crossroad. Uh, I will never forget the time that I spent at the Pentagon. I worked there uh, and was working there on September 11th in 2001. Uh, I'll not forget the crisis of that moment, uh, the events that surrounded that particular day, uh, the turmoil that seemed to rush into this nation, the fear that was impending upon each one of our hearts. Uh, I am certain, though I did not live in Georgetown, that there was even fear felt here in Georgetown. In 2001, or wherever you might have lived in that particular time, and every time our nation has met and crossed this crisis moment, as September 11, 2001 was, uh, there is a choice that we can make. There are two directions as the road forks at that crisis moment, either more chaos or corrective measures, either bad critics come forth or a brilliant cure for this sin-filled land. America today is in crisis and stands at a crossroads in 2010. The next few choices that we make really will determine our destiny as a nation. Uh, If you really study this country of ours, the 200 and some years that we've been in existence, the life that we have lived, the span that we have existed, uh, it is not uncommon to see nations to rise and fall within that same time period. Uh, to have their moment in the sun and to fade into oblivion, to just be another also-ran in the world. If you were to believe our president at the G20 summit just last week, America is no longer the leader that it can be. From the words of our own president, uh, Timothy Geithner who is the, uh, the, um, uh, serves on, in his cabinet there as well uh, has said this America is no longer the financial superpower it once was and I would say that most Americans would probably disagree with that statement uh, my point in saying that is not to disagree with their politics or their political views but to say are we at a point where we're no longer the world leaders are we at a point where God is no longer blessing us If America ends up in the graveyard of civilizations, it will be of our own doing. There will be no one to blame but ourselves. And as Christians, we will be at the forefront of the finger pointing. If a substantial change does not happen, and soon in this country, we all will face calamity. I believe we will see terrorism. I believe we will see natural disasters. I believe we will even see anarchy in this great country of ours if we do not change the spiritual direction of this country. Samuel the prophet had a serious warning for Israel when they were choosing a king. In 1 Samuel 8, in verse 18, he says this, And ye shall cry out in that day because of your king, which ye shall have chosen you. And the Lord will not hear you in that day. We would be wise as Americans to understand the choices that we make for those who we put in office. Whether it be our king... Our president, whether it be our representatives in our legislative branch, whether it be the judges that those who are in those positions appoint, we are at a point where God may not hear us. He says, You will cry out and God will not hear you. The only cure for the crookedness, the craziness, the chaos, the confusion that we find in America is found in the person of Jesus Christ. If you were to ask me, why do I love America so much this morning? And even though that introduction seems a bit uh, gloom and doom, I do love America. I am proud to be an American. I don't want to be in any other country in this world. This is where God has placed me, and this is the country that God has blessed. More than any other nation outside of Israel, I believe in the history of mankind. But if you were to ask me why I love it so much, it is because of the foundations that we are built upon. We saw in the video this morning the quotes of the founding fathers and the statements of faith that each of them made in their reliance and their dependence upon God. The key to revival in America this morning is that every single one of us as Christians, every church full of Christians who truly trust in Jesus Christ, start depending on the old rugged cross and not simple methods. Start trusting in one another and taking the gospel of Jesus Christ out into this lo- lost and dark world. Amen. I heard an illustration. I think it was very apt about America today. James Garfield was a lay preacher and a principal of a Christian college in 1880. He was elected, though, to be president of the United States, but served only six months in office. After a lawyer named Charles Gouteau was denied the ambassadorship uh, to France, he felt it was his mission from God To shoot President Garfield. And so he waited in Union Station. And on the morning of July 2nd, 1881, he arrived there, Garfield did, and was greeted by Gouteau's bullet. President Garfield was rushed to the White House where they were performing medical treatment. And certainly the times that it was in 1881, uh, there was no, medical, uh, there, there was no uh, medical sterilization as we know today. And doctor after doctor poked their unwashed, unsanitized finger into his body trying to find the second bullet which had lodged near his spine the Army Surgeon General, the Navy Surgeon General all came in with unsterilized, unclean instruments opened the wound on President Garfield trying to find the bullet and they could only determine it, it must have hit his liver. He'll only live for a few short days. Garfield lived for 80 days after that when an autopsy was done on his body, instead of the one-inch incision that the bullet originally made, there was now a 20-inch incision oozing with infection because of all the unsterilized fingers and instruments that were placed into his body. And when the doctors performed the autopsy, they found the bullet lodged away from his spine in a safe region that would never have affected his life. Had they patched him up, had they mended him, had they treated him with sterile environment, he would have lived and served out the rest of his pres- Presidency, but the autopsy revealed he died from the infections of the doctors who were there to fix it. He died from the infections of those who knew how to fix his wound. The president would have survived if the doctors would have just left him alone. Like President Garfield so long ago, and, and the point of the story is that America today has a large wound which is riddled with infections. Why? Because every day we hear social engineers or we hear humanistic thinkers or we hear moral relativists on television, on radio, in our political circles, and they are sticking their hell-infected philosophies into the wounds of this great country. They are bringing us down from the inside. Uh, it is very interesting if you study the Communist Party and the Socialist Party in America. In the 40s and the 50s, they were banned. Why? Because we understood the threat from without. Uh, Germany at the time was a socialist country run by the one leader, Hitler, that was there. Russia was a rising Communist Party uh, uh, country. And, and, and the Communism uh, was taking over and riddling their land. And the United States of America politicians literally went on a witch hunt, finding people uh, who were... Uh, who were involved with the communist party and we had a moral right to stand not to have socialism and its ills and its infections take our country unfortunately the late 60s and early 70s happened I hope nobody in here was a hippie, but if, if you were, the free love, the hippie movement, uh, the ideological movement really of the 60s, not particularly associated with those movements, but the free thinking of society, the rebellion against authority. I see Brother Neil back there. He must have been a hippie. I don't know. We'll have to ask him after church. But when we think about this and we understand this idea here, uh, this idea of rebelling against authority was being taught not in the political halls of Washington, D.C., but it was being taught in the schoolhouses of America. They start very young, and they educate all the way up through all the public school systems, all the way into our universities, and they thought, listen, if we can take our socialistic ideals and put them into the universities, and we can capture their minds and their hearts, their politics will follow. And that's where we are today. How did we get to where we are in 2010 where literally everyone in this country lives on a state of entitlement? How do we get to the point where everybody feels like this is owed to me? It is because of the social engineers, the humanistic thinkers, the moral relativism out there, secular humanism that has infiltrated this great country. Our founders understood what they were leaving across Europe. Uh, socialism and that ideal had won in Europe, and, and the idea of a controlling element of government limiting our freedoms was there. They fled that in the 1600s. They came to this great land and established what we know as America. They left the infection that had destroyed that continent. This morning, no matter how much you love America, you and I are going to have to first realize, and number one in your outline, the faults that are in America. We can't be ostriches anymore. We no longer can stick our head in the sand and say these things are not going on. As a pastor, I rarely preach political motivated messages. I'm not preaching on a political topic. I'm not preaching on a political party this morning. But I'm talking to you from the word of God, the truth that is in the word of God, why America is falling apart. And it is. And you're fooling yourself if you don't think so. Some of us of our younger generation haven't lived long enough to see it. If you're a student of history, though, you can mark the times where we've departed. You can see where the departure has happened. And the privilege in our church is having older generations that can tell us of the times that used to be. The faults in America, letter A, we have bloody hands. Isaiah here tells them in Jerusalem, in particular in Israel, that they were being punished because... Of their bloody hands. He says in verse 3. For your hands are defiled with blood. And your fingers with iniquity. Verse 7. Their webs shall become garments. Neither shall they cover themselves with their works. Their works are works of iniquity. Their act of violence is in their hands. Their feet, verse 7, run to evil. They make haste to shed innocent blood. Israel, some 300 years earlier. From the verse that I read to you in 1 Samuel chapter 8 and verse 18. Had asked for a king. They wanted to be like everybody else. They didn't want to be isolated and ruled by God. They wanted to have a man to answer to. And so Samuel says to him, listen, there's going to come a day. There is going to come a point where you are going to rue the day that you chose a man to rule over you. You will clamor and desire to have God as your only king once again. But God won't hear you. Fast forward some 300 years now into Isaiah chapter 59. This is what's happening. There is so much blood and violence. They have become so much like the societies that are around them. They literally are worse in some instances in sacrificing their children to the false gods. They were shedding innocent blood. And so this morning, little eye there, through abortion. America's hands are bloody through abortion. Friends, you can't look at this country and tell me that we don't have a problem. Dr. Jim Black wrote in a book entitled When Nations Die. And by the way, he's not necessarily that I understand a Christian man, but in this book he tells of Carthage. I don't know if you're a student of history. I <clears throat> I was a political science minor, so I had in college, so I had to learn a little bit about history, but Carthage you know anything about the the actual man named Hannibal. Uh, He was the one that led the elephants across the Apennine Mountains there into Rome to conquer it, but his elephants died in the mountains because they couldn't get across the Alps and and the Apennines uh, because of the altitude. But Carthage was a rival city-state of Rome. It was in North Africa, probably one of the wealthiest uh, uh, cities equaling, rivaling Rome in its day. And he wrote this about Carthage. He said, Carthage wanted for nothing. It was supremely advanced. By the way, it sounds very much like America. It was supremely advanced in education, military, commerce, judges, and lawyers. Sound familiar? He continues later in the book towards the end there in a section of Carthage. He wrote this. I remember visiting the cemeteries and seeing the tiny stone coffins of infants who were murdered and burned as sacrifices to the pagan goddesses. The sight of thousands of these coffins lined up, Dr. Black says, row after row was chilling. Twenty years after my first visit, I still remember the sense of sorrow I felt then. I recall wondering what horrors the mothers and fathers of all of those innocent victims must have endured at the hands of their demon gods. Friend, that's America. We are sacrificing our children, our unborn children, on the altar of choice on the altar of popularism, on the altar of women's rights. And you say, well, I've got my white rights. I'm a woman. That's right, but there is a right to life the Bible speaks about. By the way, that's about the only right that the Bible speaks about. There is a right to life that is there. Today, conservative estimates figure that 41 million babies have been murdered through the act of abortion since Roe v. Wade was passed over 30-some years ago. Abortion is an offering to the false god of convenience. It is an act of worship to the god of comfort. Abortion is an offering to the god of popularism. Everybody has one, so it's okay. Everybody in society thinks it's fine. What's your problem? You conservative? You right-wing nut? You Bible thumper? Good if they call me that. Mm -hmm. Praise God. Because America has bloody hands because we've shed innocent blood. It's through abortion. American politicians, by the way, peddle and parade their pro-choice platform as if the ultimate prize for America is to have a pro-choice environment. By the way, let me just say this. Choice has always caused problems for mankind. Take it back to Adam and Eve. There was problems because they had a choice. They chose the wrong one. We should make sure that God is at the forefront of our thoughts. Deuteronomy 30 and verse 19 tells us the choice we ought to make. Moses in his farewell address says this, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, Moses says, choose life. Friend, we as a a nation are falling into a pit because we're shedding innocent blood through abortion. But we we shed it number two I there through violence. Not just through abortion. If that were it alone, it would be bad. It would be bad enough that God would not bless us anymore. That God would be judging this nation of ours... But it's also through violence. According to the U.S. Census Bureau, there, have, there were 1.5 million violent crimes in 2008. That, that's the most current data uh, I could get. The 2009 statistics come out uh, this month, and so I couldn't get those. Uh, but the U.S. Census Bureau says 1.5 million violent crimes in 2008. Also, according to the United Nations, the United States, this is what would blew my mind, ranks in the top 10 for crime rates of affluent countries. Affluent countries. So, third world nations—these are second world nations. Uh, those nations don't count. Nations that would have the same economic structure, the same benefits and privileges in life that we would share. You, usually, mostly European, some Asian countries. We rank in the top ten. By the way, we rank in the top 25 of all countries in the world. Even some of the third world nations who have no really organized, centralized government have lower crime rates than we do. Folks, there is violence, there is bloodshed, there is iniquity going on in our streets. And you might say, I'm not doing it. (laughs) Great. Good for you. But the fault in America is that blood is being shed. There is blood on our hands. When God looks at this great nation, the nation that he blessed for so long, he can say no longer, you are blessed in my eyes. Why? Because there's blood on our hands. We're a bloody nation. And God cannot bless that. A case can easily be be made that the rate of violent crime has risen since states began to outlaw the death penalty. And I would say to that, you're probably right. God instituted the death penalty. Who is a state to take it away? But why as a state do we dilly-dally over someone who has committed a crime if they're guilty of murder? The Bible says an eye for an eye. The Bible says, but by any man's hands is a blood shed. His, his blood will be required. You have to understand, we've got to live by biblical principles. I don't like them all the time, preacher. They're not, they're not real easy to live by. Boy, sometimes it's going to make me look like a radical. Yeah, it's going to make you look like a Christian. The fault in America is that Christians have ceased being Christians. We've stopped living what God has told us to live. Isaiah saw the problem for Israel, the reason for God's judgment upon it. It was because their hands were defiled with blood. I would submit to you today that America's hands have certainly been defiled with blood. But this wasn't all that was Israel's problem. Letter B, we see they had lying lips. They had lying lips. The Bible says, For your hands are defiled with blood, your fingers with iniquity, your lips have spoken what? Lies. Your tongue hath muttered perverseness. Sociologists today say it's no big deal to lie or cheat. They'll say this it doesn't hurt anybody. From the classroom to the bedroom, cheating and lying is almost a normal act of behavior. It is expected that you're going to lie if you're going to truly function in our society. Chuck Colson wrote this, and while I don't agree with everything the man says or believes, I think this was right on. He said this, Societies are tragically vulnerable when the men and women who compose them lack character. A nation or culture cannot endure for long unless it's undergirded by common values such as valor, respect for others, and for the law. It cannot stand," he continues, "unless it is populated by people who will act on motives superior to their own immediate interests. Do you know why we lie? It's convenient. Hey, Pastor, did you, did you get that uh, stuff done? Did you get everything done for me? Uh, no, uh, I had a lot to do this week. It's easy for us to lie. I say, pastor, are you admitting lying to me? No, I did. I haven't. To the best knowledge before God, I haven't lied to anyone this year, this week, this month, any time. Uh, but it's easy. It is much more convenient for me to just go out and tell a lie, uh, to live that lie, and to say something like that. Isaiah in, in chapter 5 and verse 20 says this, and, and I think it's very interesting. He says, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. He said, Listen, you are going to get to the point where you're lying so much, you're going to believe it, and that you're going to call something that's terrible and evil and wicked, you're going to call it good. Is that not America, friend? Well, the television programs that we watch, they're not that bad. Really? <laughs> You're calling evil good, or, or at least not that bad. Do you see how lying infiltrates our life? What happens in American society is we become so uh, uh, inundated with lies, we come, become so uh, accustomed to lies, that when it comes to my telling the truth, it's much easier, it's much more normal for me to tell a lie. Israel was a nation that had become inundated with lying. I would remind you what the Bible says, by the way, about lying in Proverbs 6, 16 through 19. A wonderful passage of Scripture. I almost preached this passage this morning because I believe these six things, yea, seven things, are in America. And I might preach it next year. I don't know. The Bible says, these six things that the Lord hate, yea, seven are abomination unto him. By the way, listen to this list and tell me if this is in America today. A proud look, a lying tongue. Hands that shed innocent blood, and uh, uh, an ear that devi- ear that devises, excuse me, and hear that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that be swift in running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among the brethren. The seventh one is a church-related one, but there's a lot of discord being sown in a lot of good churches in this country. There's a lot of churches that can't get along with one another. There's a lot of people inside their churches that can't get along with one another either. We think about this. God says in that list a very interesting thing. He says, a false witness that speaketh lies in a lying tongue. Two of the six things that God hates that are abomination. Literally, that word abomination means it turns his stomach. You ever eaten too much sugar? Jessica made me no bake cookies for the country's birthday. Thank goodness for that. I love no bake cookies. And so I've been chowing down on no bake cookies. But you know what happened last night after eating all those no bake cookies? Man, my stomach was hurting uh, those No bake cookies, though they were great and I love them, they had become an abomination. They were turning my stomach. They were making me sick to the point, I didn't, but to the point where I wanted to blah, blah, lose it. God says, listen, these six things turn my stomach, folks. And two of the six are a lying lip. <laughs> do you lie? If you do, you're part of the fault of America. Well, I don't shed innocent blood, thank goodness. Okay. Do you lie? I knew you, pastor, you were going to get something that would hit home for me today. There's something. You always step on my toes. You always find my one toe sticking out and jump on it. We see in the lying lips that little eye there, a diet of deception was there. A diet of deception was in Israel's day. In Isaiah's writing here, he says in verse 5, they hatch cockatrice eggs. And you say, what is that? I underlined it and wrote to the end. It's just a viper. It's a snake. In fact, he even describes it at the end of verse 5. Uh, they hatch vipers' eggs and weave the spider's web. He that eateth of the egg, uh, their eggs dieth, and that which is crushed breaketh out into a viper. There is a diet of deception that is going on. The lies of Isaiah's day, uh, day were the same as hatched eggs uh, that were there. They were being fed. And by the way, we're being fed the same diet of lies today. We are be- being fed snake-egg diet. You might say. Humanism, materialism, relativism, liberalism, Darwinism. They're all wrapped up in a devilish deception diet. By the way, it's no mistake that Isaiah said here and likened them through the help of the Holy Spirit to a serpent's egg. Why? Because they're from the pit of the serpent. The devil himself. All lying starts with him. He lied to himself that he could be like the Most High. He lied to Eve that she would be like God. He has continued to lie and is so much wrapped up in lies that he can't tell the difference. And he wants to take you down that road as well. It's a diet of deception. Think about this, by the way, in our deceived society. A teenage girl can get an aspirin, or cannot get an aspirin at a school without her parents' consent and a written note. But she can get condoms and abortion counseling without her parents even knowing about it. That's the America that you live in. That's the diet of deception that you're being fed. That that's okay. Patrick, you shouldn't say that in church. Yes, I should if we're going to contend for the word of God that we should. If we're going to stand for the principles of our faith. A teenage girl or a teenage boy should not be hearing about the old birds and the bees at school. Away from mom and dad being told lies and deceptions that countermand what the Bible in fact says. It's just one area. The biblical wisdom that built this nation, by the way, is now openly laughed at in every walk of life. It is a mockery on TV shows. It is a mockery in the mu- movie industry. It is being made a mockery of in the music industry. We are being fed, folks, lies. Yeah. Right. We are becoming a nation that is dieting, eating, gorging ourselves on deception. But letter two there, I, a web of wickedness. He doesn't just talk about the serpent's eggs, he talks about weaving the spider's web. Isn't it true how it happens in your life? You start with just a simple lie. Well, it's, you know, this is just a little white lie and it's going to get me out of trouble. And then somebody finds out about it. And they ask you about the lie. What do you have to do? Well, you've got to tell two lies to make up for the one lie. And then at the end of the day, you've told the one lie and now you've told the two lies. And you have to remember, oh man, there's three or four more people that have learned about it. And I've got to tell four or five or six more lies over here. And the next thing you know, you're in such a tangled web of lies that you can't find your way out. You see, lying just leads to another lie. But the Bible says the truth will always set you free. So when you think about this in our culture, what is the fault here? We've become a nation that is being fed deception. I I love this particular quote. I don't agree with it, but I love how it marks our society. Former Supreme Court Justice Sandra Day O'Connor said from the bench in our Supreme Court uh, in a case concerning decency, she said this, The evolving standards of decency mark the progress of a maturing nation. Hogwash! Hogwash! Standards don't change. They don't evolve. The word of God is not being tailor made for the 2010 lifestyle. It is a principle that we live our life by. They are unchanging truths. They are not evolving. I would respectfully disagree with Miss O'Connor and say to her uh, to, the, to the honorable Miss O'Connor, listen, you don't know what you're talking about. Oh pastor, you're just, a, you're just a pastor of a small church in Georgetown. How dare you talk about a Supreme Court justice that way? When someone's wrong, they're wrong. And it's not me, it's from the Bible. The Bible tells us that it is the true word, that it is standard, uh, the standard that God holds us to. It is what changes lives. And the society in which we live, the politicians in which we know, they have told us, no, listen, there is no absolute truth. Uh, it is an evolving standard of decency. If you think about that, well, how does that make concrete in my life? Uh, think about this, on television. Heaven help you, by the way, if you leave your child just to watch television on their own. That's all I'm going to say. Even the the Mickey Mouse channels and all the channels like that. Heaven help you. Imagine the old Ed Sullivan show that would not show the swinging hips of Elvis. Elvis was fully clothed. Elvis was not involved in any immoral activity in the bedroom, any kind of uh, lustful desires. He was singing and dancing. Now, I would disagree with the shaking of hips, and I'm glad the Ed Sullivan Show did. But that was in the 50s and early 60s was the principle, the standard. Uh, Think about the old Dick Van Dyke Show. I always loved that show. Where did uh, the husband and the wife sleep? They slept in separate beds. Why? Because the standards of television said even though they were playing a married wife, the reality of the public knew they weren't married and they could not be in a bed together. Now you see how evolving standards of decency affect our life? Look at the average commercial today. The average beer commercial day. You're lucky if the woman has her clothes on. Frank, there is no such thing as an evolving standard of decency. There is one standard of decency and that's what God says. Amen. I don't care what your television says. I don't care what the rap singer sings to you. I don't care what the movie teaches you. What the Word of God says is what it is. Amen. That's the standard. The fault in America is we have bloody hands and we have lying lips. In fact, in verses 12 through 14, the prophet paints the end result of lying and violence for Israel. Look what it says in verse 12. He says, for our transgressions are multiplied before thee. God with his all-knowing omniscience, uh, his eyes peering down upon this world, uh, now they are crying out to him. Our sins testify against us. Our transgressions are with us and as for our iniquities, we know them. And by the way, don't be foolish. Don't be so arrogant and naive or stupid this morning to say, Well, I just don't know what my problem is. You know what your problem is. We know what the faults are in America. You know what your personal faults are. You know what your personal shortcomings are. You know where you have fallen short. And here the children of Israel said, Listen, they're before us. We know them. We understand them. Verse 13, In transgressing and lying against the Lord and departing away from our God, speaking oppression and revolt, Conceiving and uttering from the heart words of falsehood, and judgment is turned away backward, and justice standeth afar off. For truth is fallen in the street, and equity, fairness, equality cannot enter. It is a bleak picture, by the way, that Isaiah paints for Israel here. And by the way, I might add, the future does not look bright for this country of ours. And it saddens me. Jessica and I have openly talked about the fact that we would love to see Drew as a missionary someday. I think it's a great idea I would love him to be a pastor I want him to do whatever God calls him to do But I'd love him to be, particularly to be a missionary And you say, why? Well, don't you think America needs good churches? Sure we do But I think that America, if things don't change In 15, 20, 25 years It's going to be very hard to preach the gospel I think God's blessing If we don't act now as Christians, as believers And start to make a difference An impact in our community, and our society I believe God's blessings will no longer be on this country now, How do you know that? Look at England How do you know that? Look at Canada. How do you know that? Look at other democracies in this world who have given up their democratic rights and have brought in an oppressive system. By the way, Isaiah even says it here. There is oppression that comes. It's not freedom. It's oppression that comes when we give up our ideals and our freedom. America can be blessed, though. don't, this morning, I don't want you to take away, well, Pastor, was really down on us as a country. No. I think we have some glaring faults. We have some infected wounds that the philosophies of mankind that are set on fire from the pits of hell are not healing. They can't heal. But thank goodness, number two, there are fixes for America today. There are some fixes for America. Man, Pastor, I hope you don't preach as long on the second point as you did the first point. Don't worry, they're easy. You see, the deception, the bloodiness, the lying, uh, the distortion of this country, that's where things get confusing and difficult and hard. The truth is very simple. The fixes for America. God's open answer for any nation, by the way, and then the answer he gives here in Isaiah 59 to Israel, is to turn to Christ, their intercessor. Isaiah did not fully comprehend, by the way, uh, what would be included from, in salvation from Jesus Christ. But starting in verse 16, he does paint us a picture of a cure, a fix for Israel. And I would submit to you a fix for this great country of ours. Look what it says in verse 16. And he, sa- he saw that there was no man, And wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore his arm brought salvation unto him. And his righteousness it sustained him. For he put on righteousness as a breastplate. By the way this sounds very much like Ephesians chapter 6 where Paul's writing. For he put on righteousness as a breastplate. And an helmet of salvation upon his head. And he put on the garments of vengeance for clothing. And was clad with zeal as a cloak. By the way that word zeal there you can underline it and just put truth. He was clad with truth as a cloak. When you looked at him, you saw truth, is what Isaiah is here saying. Verse 18, according to their deeds, according, accordingly he will repay. Fury to his adversaries, recompense to his enemies. To the islands he will repay recompense. So shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west. I've underlined that for my own personal reasons. We, according to where Isaiah is talking, we are from the west. That's where we are. They shall fear the name of the Lord from the west and His glory from the rising of the sun. When the enemy shall come in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against Him. So we see two fixes quickly this morning. Letter A, the hope of salvation. What is the fix for America? Pastor, don't you always say this? Don't you just kind of beat this same drum? Uh, isn't this just, a, just kind of like a one-hit wonder for you? Isn't this all you ever preach about is this hope of salvation? The answer is yes, because that's all the Bible talks about. Amen. The only hope for sinful mankind is found in salvation. Amen. He says here in verse 16, He saw there was no man. He wondered where there was no intercessor. Therefore, His arm brought salvation. He brought it to them. Psalm thirty-three, twelve 12 says this, Blessed is a nation whose God is the Lord. The hope for America is not in political parties. It is not in tea parties. It is not in a conservative movement or a liberal movement. It is not in a politician or in a form of government. Rather, the only hope for this country of ours is for Christians to share their faith. You saw the founding fathers. These comments were not written in their private diaries for no one to find. These comments about our dependence upon Jesus Christ, our our trust in our Savior, the Bible as the rock, as the foundation of our society, those comments were made publicly. You and I, if we're going to see a change in this great country, is not going to be to get out there over the fence post and argue with our neighbor about the rights and the wrongs of the current administration. Because, by the way, they're going to change in six months. They're going to change in four years. And four years after that, they'll change again. And four years after that, they'll change again. It's not found in a politician. It's found in a person, Jesus Christ. Amen. That's the hope for America. That's your hope individually. You will not fix America, I have in my notes here, with your vote. You will fix America with your witness. Let me say that again. You will not fix America with your vote. Are you telling me not to vote? No, you should vote. You should vote your convictions. You should know your convictions. You should know what the Bible says and what the politicians believe, or at least espouse to believe. But you're not going to fix it with your vote, you're going to fix it with your witness. One person at a time. We heard in our Sunday school lesson the idea of planting that kernel of corn. And I still haven't figured out how many that would be either. I'm trying to do the math. But simply put, that kernel of corn, that ear of corn, uh, as it would die and fall to the ground, those kernels would then produce more corn. Uh, One particular kernel can produce thousands upon thousands upon thousands of other corn stalks. As a Christian, that's the reproductive cycle that God expects from us. As we in John chapter 15 live in the vine that is Jesus Christ, and as branches that come out from Him, we are to be bearing fruit, and in a multiple fashion. The hope of salvation is a fix for America, but let her be the freedom of truth. The freedom of truth is the fix for America. Uh, Look in verse 4, the Bible says, None calleth for justice, nor any pleadeth for truth. When was the last time you begged for truth? Jessica does not like it when I watch the Sunday morning political shows. In fact, I've, I've gotten a habit now of t it. when she takes her nap on Sundays, I'll watch them in Sunday afternoon, the morning political shows. I talk to the TV. I don't know if any of the rest of you do. Uh, but <laughs> Brother Watts apparently does. <laughs> um, uh, maybe that's because we're preachers. We just like to talk out loud anyway. Uh, but, but I'll talk to the TV. And my wife will, in essence, or, or, every time say to me, you know they can't hear you. You know the TV can't respond to you. But, you know, some politician or some uh, you know particular public figure will be saying something. And it's contrary to Scripture. And I'll say... No, no, that's what's wrong. That's what Isaiah is saying. He said, listen, there was no one in Israel at this time that was pleading for truth. They were all fine with the relativism. They were all fine for the idea of truth being uh, a a, a, a nebulous idea, something that wasn't concrete. Thank goodness there are good Christians at Bluegrass Baptist Church. There are good Christians in Georgetown and other good independent Baptist churches. There are good Christians across this nation who are pleading for truth. Don't stop. The freedom of truth will fix America. Notice verse 17 as I mentioned earlier. It says that Jesus Christ when he was coming. And by the way the context of Isaiah 59 is speaking of future. The Lord that is coming here in verse 16 has yet to come. But when he comes these are the things that he'll be clothed in. And so we see that when Jesus Christ comes back in all of his glory. He will be clothed in zeal or truth. Pureness if you will. Verse 19, we see again the reference to this idea of truth from Isaiah. He says at the, end of the ver- at the end of the verse there, the Spirit of the Lord shall lift up a what? What's that word there? What's it say? Shall lift up a standard against Him. God simply says in one little phrase, in one simple sentence, listen, there is a standard. There is a way that we ought to be living our lives. It is by the standard of the Word of God. It is a true standard. Lifestyle. It is true living according to the Word of God. It is truth that can set someone free. It's truth that can set a society free. It can set us free from that diet of deception, from that web of wickedness. Uh, Liberalism and the rebellion against authority that it teaches only binds a nation in snake eggs and spider webs, as Isaiah said. It puts up roadblocks and tries to stop truth from truly marching on as we sung this morning. Proverbs 23, 23, says this, Buy the truth, and it uses the word buy as in purchase. Buy the truth and sell it not. Also, wisdom and instruction and understanding. The truth that was America, the truth in which we are founded upon, was bought with the blood of generations of true patriots. From the Revolutionary War to the Civil War, Uh, to all the great world wars that we fought to preserve and protect our freedoms in this nation of ours. Sadly, we seem to be selling that truth for comfort today. Sadly, as a nation, we seem to be selling that truth for ease. Oh, it was bought in blood, the blood of Jesus Christ for our salvation and the blood of good patriots to live it in this country of ours. But we are selling it for entitlement today. We are selling it for a meal ticket today. It is believed that in America we have about 10 million humanists and about 100 million Christians. True, Bible-believing, God-fearing Christians. So I ask this morning in closing, why is it that we are losing the battle over truth? 10 million humanists actively practicing. Now there are probably many millions more that live by those principles, but they don't know the difference they've not been persuaded to live by the bible standard of truth why is it that 10 million can affect more than 100 million and the answer is we're holding our faith we're keeping the truth silent it is being bound and fettered and controlled they can't stop your witness and no policeman's going to knock on the door and say folks you need to stop telling people about jesus christ not yet in this country and when the day comes that they'll be knocking on your door, your pastor will probably already be in jail. Because they can't stop us from preaching the truth, the standard that the Spirit of God reveals in their hearts. Ten million people, supposedly, in this country are affecting the direction. Why not have the hundred million that know the truth, that live the truth, make the difference for once? Why not stand up as Americans? Why not stand up as Christians and do something to save this wonderful nation of ours? Janet Paschal, a gospel singer, wrote this in her song. They said it wouldn't last, said God's word would pass away into mere history. They thought the church he built would end, replaced by modern times and trends. But countless generations proved again his truth keeps marching on. On a million Sunday mornings in a million little towns, through a hungry little village in a distant foreign land, and in a pew someone stands to testify again, his truth keeps marching on. This morning as believers, as Christians, as Americans, are we going to let the blood and the violence in this country, are we going to let the lying lips and the deception and the wickedness and the webs that they weave uh, throughout this society, are we going to allow it to rule this nation and to bring it to its knees and to the graveyard of civilization? Or as Christians, are we going to stand up and speak of the hope of salvation and the freedom that the standard, the truth of God, will give to any person?